You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome in to another edition of Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, the trade deadline is over. Uh, we've got a few more trades to unpack. It's been a very busy week in the NBA. How are you holding up? Yeah, good, Lou. Uh, and pretty good. You know, it's always a little bit of a, a crazy time, I think, particularly for for us uh, down here in Australia, um, given that how the time differences do work, that... Um, you know, we end up we end up waking up to these trades going off like it's it's a bit of Christmas morning. There's been Woj bombs, there's been Shams bombs, there's been Brian Windhorst who's had a, a pretty good time with uh, with his reports. Um, and obviously the big dominoes were more in the Eastern Conference. Um, obviously with the James Harden and Ben Simmons deal, but that not to say that there weren't some some reasonably major moves, I guess, in the Western Conference. Um, and a few minor ones as well that may not look like a lot on the surface, but could be really handy acquisitions for a lot of teams who are vying for a championship, but also at the other end of the scale where sort of the, the race for the play-in tournament is now really heated up, um, you know, with a team like New Orleans really strengthening uh, their lineup um, with the acquisition of CJ McCollum. Obviously, um, we, we had our little emergency podcast on the Sacramento Kings move with Tyrese Halliburton, uh, heading out and DeMontis Sabonis coming in. Um, as much as we thought we could probably do another immediately post-trade deadline podcast, uh, I sort of uh, put up the assumption that uh, I, I would think that our listeners would have enough of us for three times in uh, in about four or five days. So we've let it breathe a little bit, Lou, but it's time to, to chat about what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And look, while that... Uh I guess we'll call it the Sabonis Halliburton trade was the biggest headline move for the Pacific division. Um, what did occur a little bit closer to the deadline, um, you know, we'll still have some some varied impacts going forward. Um, we're just going to jump in now by, I guess, starting off by reading the the details of the four-team trade. Um, as much as we joke about those trades never actually happening, it was another example of that happening. So, there was a trade that involved both the Clippers and the Kings. Um, it also involved the Bucks and the Pistons. So the Bucks received Serge Ibaka from the Clippers, a second round pick from the Kings, a second round pick from Detroit, and clash cash considerations from LA. The Clippers received Rodney Hood from Milwaukee. They received Semi Ojale from Milwaukee, and the rights to Vanya Mirankovic from Sacramento. Um, the Kings got Dante DiVincenzo from Milwaukee, Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles from Detroit. The rights to David, uh, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, is it Mikanau, uh, Michinau, uh, one of the two. Hey, Michinau, the yeah. Correct, yeah. Um, and a second round pick from Detroit. And the Pistons got the much rumoured acquisition of Marvin Bagley the third from Sacramento. So obviously there is so much to digest from this trade. Some of it not so relevant to our division, Nick, but... Jumping off on the, the King side of things, um, I, I think uh, it would be wise to first touch on the fact that they finally moved on from their former number two pick, Marvin Bagley. Yeah. What did you make of that one? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was the move that needed to happen. Uh, unfortunately, this is another example of the Kings using 
um, a very high lottery pick, and it's not worked out particularly. You know, the, it is a pick that is going to be put under the microscope for a very long time, given the players um, who were available, um, and, the, and the Kings chose not to pick. Um, I still think Bagley's still got something in this league, um, but the window for him to prove that is very quickly uh, closing shut. Um, it, it's a hard one because you sort of get picked with a number two pick. I think Andrew Wiggins is the perfect example um, of someone who maybe isn't the guy on a team, but could be, um, you know, a second or a third guy on another team. And the fit in Sacramento just wasn't that crash shot, um, you know, sort of when he came into the league, uh, his role sort of coming off the bench is a bit of a, you know, sort of energy spark plug five, I think was, you know, really handy, but, you know, being parked in the corner, um, isn't really his game. He needs his hands on the ball. He needs to be using his athleticism and playing okay. But it's, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, a move was needed for both sides and it's looking like um, at least that um, he'll get some opportunities or more more opportunities um, playing for Dwayne Casey in Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. And look, as we discussed a couple of times, the list of buyers for Bagley had kind of fallen off over the years to the point where it seemed like it was probably the Detroit uh, there was obviously some talk about maybe Minnesota and OKC were the other ones that stood out. So not entirely mm. surprised. Um, you know, I, I think we've both seen the talent there. I, I, it's hard to see that star upside now. Um, but if he's going to get time to fill out that studio space, it's going to be in Detroit, whether he can play alongside Isaiah Stewart. He's obviously come off the bench in his first couple of games. Um, it, it will be, you know, good to see him get some more minutes um, on a team that he can afford to make a few more mistakes. Um, as long as he can show a bit of upside, I think is mainly what the Pistons are looking to see. Uh, they did, the Kings, however, did reacquire, or not reacquire, uh, they acquired Dante DiVincenzo, who was originally in a deal that was mm. uh, going to be sent to them, uh, I believe, in the Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, deal that got vetoed. Um, DiVincenzo's stocks really plummeted over the last kind of six months. He's been injured and hasn't really found his spot so much like he did uh, pre-injury in Milwaukee. I do really like this fit positionally for Sacramento. Do you think he's a kind of a cornerstone piece for them going forward, Nick? And what have you seen so far? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, he was a, a smart and savvy fit for this Kings team back when that trade was rumored to happen. Um, and I, I think he is right now, um, you know, he's someone who has struggled Um coming off his ankle injury um, occurring in the finals last year. And it's meant that um, he hasn't had a lot of time to sort of get back from injury in, in terms of he hasn't had the time and I guess the the space to try to like work through things. It's meant that Milwaukee can't really afford to sort of, you know, persist with him a little bit, but he knows, well, you know, he's going to hit restricted free agency and all that sort of stuff. But I think they'd probably like him now after Pat Connaughton's uh, injury, but um, I still think that there's plenty of upside to him. You know, he's 25, sort of fits in with Sabonis um, and, and Fox, who are around that 24, 25 mark as well. Um, his shot's not... That's probably what's hasn't looked that great, sort of coming back. He's only been shooting 20, 27% on threes this season um, with his 7.2 points and 3.4 rebounds per game. But he's a 34% shooter from deep for his career, 38% in the championship season for the Bucks, where he's averaging um, just a tick under 10.5 points and 
just under six rebounds. He's still a, a super handy, I think, three and D guard um, who, yeah, I think can offer a lot um, in terms of a positional fit for the Kings, but also, yeah, someone who, yeah, slots in well um, between Fox. He's a different player to Mitchell, um, rebounds really well as a guard as well, and he feels a position that Sacramento didn't really have. Yeah, look, the other thing that, you know, you like to see from DiVincenzo, he's a big energy guy. Um, that's really how yeah. he got those minutes on the Bucks to start off with. Um, and I think he, alongside someone like Davion Mitchell, could be a, a really aggressive defensive tandem, um, which is really what they're going to need in Sacramento now that they've traded for more of an, an offensive first, um, you know, centre or power forward in whatever you want to call Demandis Sabonis, as well as Jaron Fox's effort on defence, which is somewhat waxed and waned over his time in Sacramento. So, you look... While it would have been nice to see this deal go through for uh, Bogdanovich, what was it now, a, a season and a half ago, mm. um, it, you know, it's it's good to see them finally get their man, um, and he'll certainly get the chance to show off a little bit more of what he can do um, than what he got to do in Milwaukee, where he was relegated to mainly you know catch and shoot and attacking off the catch and the odd pick and yep. roll from time to time. So um, this will be no, no doubt another guy that the Kings will want to have a really good look at before the off season, um, before they decide, you know whether they want to commit to him in the long term and in what sort of capacity. Uh, they also acquired a former lottery pick, Josh Jackson um, and Trey Lyles. Uh, the Josh Jackson fit to me positionally is obvious, but he's had more than one stop now and hasn't quite found a home. And Trey Lyles to me is a, a serviceable stretch-ish big, um, but you know nothing to write home about. Do you think either of these guys are long-term pieces on this roster or... Do you think it's just a matter of uh, making the salaries work? Yeah, I can't imagine that um, Lyles' team option, I think, for next year will get... Um, I think that I, I imagine that would probably get declined. I can't see him really sticking around, considering that is a position where the Kings do have a, quite a few players, um, despite his uh, you know shooting capabilities and you know scored okay this year on ten and a half points per game, but shooting splits are forty five, thirty, and just a tick under eighty. So um, Jackson's the one that's interesting. Um, I think that if they've got in the right lineups, if they've got enough scoring around him, um, I think that he could be a really handy uh, transitional sort of uh, scoring threat um, where he can use his athleticism. And I think he's a pretty okay defender as well. So um, if he's not jacking up shots and has a a very refined um, offensive role, um, then I think that he could be a really handy weapon for someone like Fox and Mitchell to use in transition um alongside them but um it's it, it's very much a flyer you know expiring deal um i can't can't imagine you'd earn be lucky to get paid the, the five mil that he's getting paid this season um in his next contract and um yeah i just think he'd be you know someone worth having a look at um to see um if he fits into this uh you know this the, the, the long-term plan of the kings um, and i think that's also going to a lot of these guys whether they're going to factor in or not will potentially sort of be based around um, the coaching decisions that they make. And that's something that we'll have a look at probably another time. But um, yeah, I think Jackson could offer a couple of things. Yeah, look, he's shown little bits here and there um, that have kind of intrigued me in Detroit, but some of those attitude issues that he seemingly had in Phoenix and and were the reason that Memphis didn't hold on to him for too long as well, are somewhat concerning me. Um, it's unlikely that, that I think that he flourishes in Sacramento, given that it hasn't been the greatest environment for that over the past couple of years. Uh, but it's certainly worth a crack for a, a low, you know, what was a pretty relatively inexpensive 
cost to bring in a guy like that as well. Um, and you're definitely right. I think that Trey Lyles team option will almost certainly get declined um, unless they choose to pick it up for some sort of sign and trade or salary matching purpose. Um, just quickly as well, touching on, obviously, uh, they did recoup uh, a second round pick from Detroit. They're always handy to acquire, though there was a, a second round pick that went out for them in this trade. Um, and of course, those that draft right to, to David McInerney, who I think did get drafted all the way back in 2016. So that usually tells you he's probably not coming over. Um, yep. But yeah, always important to get the particulars right. Before we move on to the Clippers side of this deal, um, touching on, I guess, the wholesome nature of these trades plus the Sabonis deal, what have you seen so far in Sacramento since they've pulled the trigger on a couple of moves? Yeah, I mean, one of the obvious ones is that Fox seems to be re-energized by what's going on. Um, the pace that the Kings have been playing at, I think, has been pretty good, and it's been awesome to have kind of an offensive hub like Sabonis. Um, obviously, Brooklyn were going to wake up every, <laughs> um, eventually, and they sort of uh, flex their muscles a little bit against um, Sacramento, you know, despite not having, obviously, no Kyrie, no Harden anymore, and no Durant. Um you know, Seth Curry looked really good for them today. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think starting to get a bit out of Sabonis. Um, was a bit quiet today, but he wasn't alone in that regard. But um, I think his first game um, was really impressive and he looks like he's really enjoying it um, uh, playing um, in Sacramento. Uh, looks like he was happy to be there, which I think is really important given, um, you know, his contract situation. Um, you know, a couple more years left before he'll hit unrestricted free agency in 2024. You know, Sacramento have got to see some progress during that time. Otherwise, you know, Tyrese Halliburton could be in Indiana for the next five, six, seven years and be, you know, a franchise player. And then the guy that you wanted to get in that deal takes a walk in a couple of years. So it's something for Sacramento to keep in mind and, you know, to be keep keep pushing for some progression. But no, I've really liked what um, I've seen out of Sabonis um, and the Fox combination thus far. I'm still interested to see what the mix is sort of next to him um, and sort of the plays that they, they, they're going to move through there. Um, thought Jamezi and Metu's looked okay in some spots as well. Um, Rashawn Holmes's role has really decreased and that's why I was a little bit surprised if that was the case that they could have moved him. Um, but it is early days. Um, what have you sort of seen from the, the new Sabonis era uh, in Sacramento, Lou? You're certainly right about Fox. Um, he's looked really invigorated, which I'm torn on this because it's nice to see, but I also get concerned that someone like this needed a trade to someone that was, by all reports, a very likable guy to play with just to kind of pick up his game a little bit. Yeah. Um, Sabonis himself has, you know, looked good. I mean, he didn't have a great game today. Um he has said that he needs to be a bit more aggressive, but this is probably the best, uh, the most ready all-rounded offensive player that this Kings team has had in a long time, as much as we talk mm. about Halliburton's uh, ceiling. And I certainly think, give it a couple of years, he'll he'll be beyond what Sabonis is right now. Uh, as it stands right now, Demontis Sabonis is probably the, the biggest offensive weapon they've had, yeah, probably since Boogie Cousins got traded. I, I don't think that's an outrageous statement. Um, and so it's nice to see him out there, but at the same time, it, it's... Going to take it a while for us for a while for him not to be a reminder of what they gave up as well as he's playing. Um, yeah. You know, that spot for the plane is still very much open in the West, although this play, this Blazers team's kind of becoming a bit plucky now with Anthony Simons mm. behind the steering wheel. And, um, you know, you touched on CJ McCollum and New Orleans are making a bit of noise. So 
it's not just going to be a matter of trading trading for some bonus and getting the ten seed. Um, yeah. That being said, um, yeah, if if it, this could be a turning point potentially for Fox, then maybe it was worthwhile doing. Um, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But they've done pretty well to bring him into the organisation, considering he's a guy you've got to run so much offense around, and the fit has been not too difficult uh, from a chemistry perspective, which has been nice to see. Yeah, it's happened reasonably quickly, um, which is good. I think there's yeah they got to try to get the right mix around Fox and Sabonis. I think will be the interesting part to sort of see how they're going to go with because Davion Mitchell hasn't been starting um, to sort of see how he goes playing a little bit more. Um, are they still going to try to maybe push for him to be the starting two guard for next season, or are they a little bit locked in on him being a bit of a six man? We're not really sure. Um, it will be interesting to sort of see. Uh, the mix that Alvin Gentry sort of settles on after the All-Star break to sort of push towards this playing spot. But they certainly are in a better position, um, you know, uh, than they were um, maybe a little bit before the trade deadline. I don't know. But I, I say that even, like, hear the sort of, I don't know, questioning that in in, in, the, in my tone of voice. But um, it is a tricky one, particularly, you know, when you sort of read the comments that, Tyrese Halliburton made in like the players tribune. Um, that was a bit of a tough read actually. I know that the, it's a, it's a brutal part of the NBA business. Like quite often I don't read a lot of these sort of stories, but you know, a lot of the things that he said, you know, he said that I guarantee that if he had taken a poll of our locker room that morning and we're like, which guy on this team most wants to be in Sacramento long-term, everyone would have said me. Um, he's like, I felt like something I cared about was ending way too soon. Um, I really, 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 really was it all in on Sacramento. I wasn't shy about it. I wanted to be the next C-Web for this city. That was the whole mindset. And he talked about how he sort of developed connections in the community um, and working um, in Sacramento. It's just, I don't know, we, we, we talked about it a lot last um, in our little mini pod on this trade, but it's that, that's the part that I really struggle to sort of understand is that, you know, for, for a franchise where they struggle to get guys and they've got this guy who's, pretty much ready to bleed purple, you know, for, for this team. It is a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange one, Lou, that I think is going to confuse me for a little bit of time. Yeah, look, and you're right. Um, that piece was really heartbreaking to read. Um, you know, it, it's difficult because he, he really did seem like he wanted to be the guy behind the steering wheel when they turned things around. And look, we touched on it a couple of times last week, but I think that trade is going to end up being regrettable one way or another. Um, you know, it's it's just a matter now of, I, I do hope that Fox, if Fox was the one that wanted this move, that he repays the franchise with improved yep. play and, and attitude. And, um, you know, when you trade it for a guy like Sabonis, you do really need someone like Fox to pick up what they bring on both sides of the ball. But the early pick and roll chemistry between the two of them has looked pretty good in spots, which has been promising to see. Um, I do want to touch on the Clippers side of this deal as well, which it mm. wasn't quite as, a, as monumental perhaps as all of the players that went in and out for Sacramento, but they did trade Serge Barker, who I think we all liked that signing a couple of years ago, but mainly due to injuries, it just hasn't quite worked. Um, yeah. They traded him to the Bucks, who I think if he's going to play well anywhere, it's probably going to be in Milwaukee in that Brook Lopez kind of role. Uh, they did add um, Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale. Um, you know, I've given the, the listeners the other side of the book here the Nick's note said adding some scoring in, in Rodney Hood and some size in Ojale that's the best case scenario for both of those those two as, as sad as it is neither of them have looked great this year 
Yeah. Um, you know, Rodney Hood, I, I really liked pre-injury, but it just hasn't quite, he hasn't quite found it again. And if he was going to find it no. anywhere, you would have thought it would have been in a team like Milwaukee. To me, he's on this Clippers team. He's sadly probably kind of like, you know, diet Luke Kennard is probably the nice way to say it. Um, always looks good in principle. A really lovely bloke. He's probably one of the best rigs in the NBA, but not overly useful on an NBA court. Um, so to me, this deal came across more like a money dump. Uh, do you yeah. think the Clippers lost out in anything by dealing a Barker? Would have been nice to maybe get a pick back somewhere along the line um, to be whether that's used in future transactions or to get a, a younger player in the door to be used in maybe a future transaction. But um, I was a bit surprising. I wasn't sure what the market for a Barker would be like if it was going to be a deadline move, um, potentially if he was going to go to a team where, um, say, a younger roster where he was going to get bought out um, or if he was going to get directly traded to a championship contender. I think the fit is great for, for Milwaukee given Brook Lopez's uh, injury and, you know, the fact that, the Bucks roster seems a bit thin at the moment. Um, so I think that's all right. But yeah, I was a bit surprised about sort of the stuff that I could get back from him. I mean, like, I mean, it is a bit of an indication about how, how the decline of Serge Barker has gone um, in sort of the last 18 months and, um due to his injury, but you know, um, a very handy pickup for Milwaukee, but yeah, I would have liked something, something a little bit more than Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, considering they're both expiring contracts in saying that it does give them some options at least in the summer um, to go pick someone up, um, I think, which is handy. I think particularly now, Lou, that um, Norman Powell's out indefinitely with a fractured foot. I think that's sort of potentially changing their plans maybe for the rest of the year. Um, it sucks that that happened after the trade deadline because they might potentially, they might've been maybe a bigger seller. I'm not sure, but still with questions about when Paul George is coming back, obviously with Kawhi, it's, it does put them in a bit of an interesting spot. Yeah, look, it's it's the old Clippers curse, isn't it? Um, you know, there's been a lot of injuries in this franchise's history and it just hasn't quite worked. Um, the Norman Power news was obviously said. I, I, he, you know, will be out for the season. Um, and, uh, you know, no doubt unless something remarkable happens. But it's a shame. I, I'm getting the feeling more and more coming out of the Clippers that they won't be uh, vying for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to come back unless mm. they're 100% ready to do so. That That feeling of pushing them back seems to have gone. Um, it just feels more like this team isn't tanking purely because they don't have their own pick. So it's a real shame. Um, I guess the only positive is, you know, it really gets a chance to get more minutes in the legs like a, of guys like Amir Coffey and BJ Boston. But it, if Powell is out, it makes this Clippers team just a little bit less dangerous to whoever they end up facing in the play-in or playoff situation, um, yep. in my opinion. I wouldn't mind moving over to the Phoenix Suns, who were the only uh, other team in the division to make a trade. Um, they traded their formerly, former lottery pick, Jalen Smith, and a 2022 second-round pick to the Indiana Pacers to re-return Tory Craig to the lineup, um, as well as acquiring Aaron Holiday for cash considerations from the Washington Wizards. Um, both players look pretty good on debut against Orlando. I know uh, you're a big Tory Craig guy, Nick, starting with that deal. Um, sad to see Jalen Smith go, or do you think this was a sensible move for the Suns? Yeah, I think that 
at one stage, it might have been a, a bit of a tough one to let him go. I think, you know, he's a big man with a lot of promise. You and I both big on sticks. But the, now that they've got Bismack Biombo, who's been infinitely better than I think that anyone thought he could be, DeAndre Ayton's getting back to some health. You've got JaVale McGee. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've liked what I've seen from Ish Wainwright. If they really needed to go to another big, they could go to him. It just, there's not really a spot. Um, I think on the roster for um, for Smith and given sort of where the Western Conference is at, Phoenix need to go all in on a championship, particularly when you've got an aging point guard like Chris Paul, you know, despite the the core of this group being quite young, he's not. And it's a good idea to cash chips like Smith and go really hard because they were so close last year. And a, a major reason behind that, you know, was a, a similar de- deadline acquisition of, Tory Craig, because he was a really handy part of their postseason push. You know, he's a really strong defender, can get hot from three. Um, and yeah, it, it, it fills a spot where they can, you know, if Cam Johnson's maybe having a bit of a tough night on the defensive end, same with Jay Crowder, it's taking off some pressure from Aiton and McGee and Biombo and these sort of guys at having someone who can be, you know, can guard some wings. And I think he did a really good job of that. So um, getting Tory Craig across was a, was a massive coup, I think for the Suns. Yeah. And look, it, there's a benefit. If you're going to add someone at the trade deadline, add someone who's going to know your system, add someone who's been part of success uh, before. So, you know, Tory Craig coming in, I think was a really smart addition and look, the, the second round pick, we know that's not going to be a great second round pick this year. Um, yes, if they had their time again, they probably would have uh, done something different with Jalen Smith with that pick. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they did the right thing um, and moved on from him as a lost uh, lost cause to a certain extent. The Aaron Holiday deal, I quite like that one, but I've kind of liked him everywhere he's gone, Nick, and he hasn't been amazing in the NBA. What have you made of that one so far? Yeah, I mean, he's someone who's had a lot of promise but just hasn't, I don't know. It looked okay. I think in spots in in, in Indiana um, hasn't get have hasn't had a lot of burn um, in Washington and yeah, gets across to gets to he can learn a lot. I think from Chris Paul. I think he looked pretty good um, in his limited playing time against Orlando. Had ten points in eight minutes. Nice little lob to Bismack and yeah, I think that he's not someone who I don't think is going to play a lot during the postseason. But just gives them another look from from the guard spot, who's not Alfred Payton or campaign. Um, but yeah, I think that considering they're only giving up cash to get him, I think that's a bit of a no-brainer move. As someone who could fit into the system, can knock down his shots, play defense pretty hard, plays with a good energy. Um, yeah, I reckon that's a, you know, a, a really like low... Um, low star power move for Phoenix. But, you know, when I talked about it at the top of the show, you know, championship contender has made a couple of nice moves that no one's really going to care about. I think it's what Phoenix did. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've discussed this. They're not 100% sure where their backup point guard rotation is going um, yeah. in Phoenix. You know, obviously the, the campaign situation hasn't worked out quite as well this year and Alfred Payton's continued to kind of underwhelm a little bit. So, Aaron Holiday, who can play the one, can play the two um, in certain lineups, gives you a bit of flexibility moving forward as well. And, you know, if he fits really well, then uh, all for it. And considering any time you can acquire anyone that might be able to contribute to your roster for the sake of cash considerations, uh, when you consider the fact that Aaron Holiday, I believe, was the the sweetener for the the Wizards to trade a first-round pick for a, what, an, an early second-round pick um, in the deal with the Pacers, um, 
as well over the uh, in the offseason with the draft. That goes to show the value he has held. So certainly uh, looking forward to seeing what these two can do for the uh, Phoenix Suns. And look, all the best for Jalen Smith in Indiana. He's looked pretty good in his first couple of games like Tyrese Halliburton has. So we'll certainly keep an eye on him from afar in the Pacific post-ups. Um, moving over to the other two teams in the division, We've got the Lakers and the Warriors, uh, teams that are probably at two ends of the spectrum a little bit at the moment as far as the Western Conference playoff race. I'll start with the Lakers, Nick. Uh, everyone thought they were going to make a deal. They didn't make a deal. Uh, obviously, there's a variety of rumours. Sounds like they got pretty close to uh, bringing Dennis Schroeder back for a couple of second-round picks and some minimum contracts. That didn't happen. There was obviously a lot of talk about the John Wall, Russell Westbrook thing. That never really got grew any legs. Have the Lakers made a mistake um, or do you think they're doing the right thing by sticking with the guys they locked into at the start of the year? Nope. They not doing anything with this team is malpractice. Um, it's the deal that did get rumored around um, from Michael Scotto, um, which I kind of like the idea of was a three-team trade with the Lakers, Knicks and Raptors where the Lakers would have got Cam Reddish and Alec Burks. Knicks would have got Goran Dragic and some picks, and the Raptors would have got THT and Nerlens Noel. And then Kendrick Nunn might have got added to the trade. I would have liked that for the Lakers because Burks is a sneaky good scorer and ball handler and defends at a pretty okay level, which is something that the Lakers don't really have and can get hot in a hurry to sort of help out and not have that responsibility being placed on Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony on a regular basis. And then Cam Reddish would have given them someone who also can add some scoring pop, but also is a pretty damn okay wing defender and who's not getting played at all um, since he's landed um, at MSG. So I think I would have liked that, but no, this is the the roster that the Lakers got. And I think that, you know, this is the roster that's going to get them done. Obviously there's going to be, there'll be some activity at the buyout market, um, there'll be some there's, some, there's some names that it, it could be out there. Someone like a, I don't know, whether it is a Goran Dragic or a Dennis Schroeder who might hit the buyout market. Um, Schroeder hasn't yet, um, but we, we shall see. You know, John Wall could still get bought out. Um, you know, someone like Gary Harris as well. Uh, DeAndre ben, Bembry's out there. He was a, that was a bit rough um, considering I think he's been quite good for Brooklyn and he, he had to get waived to create some space for Simmons, Curry and Andre Drummond. But, the fact that the Lakers, yeah, weren't able to sort of get things done, whether that was floating Talon Horton Tucker out there to see if they could bring in someone more established. And obviously the Russell Westbrook deal that you and I have talked about a fair amount um, over the um, over the last few weeks and months, I think, to a degree. Um, maybe the market wasn't out there for him. Um, obviously, his contract really limits what you can do with a player like that, but... Um, obviously they weren't able to even make some little smaller fringe moves, um, which I think is a real shame for the Lakers. And yeah, the roster at the moment, while it had seen some spark, um, I thought they were really good um, against the Warriors um, in, a, in a banger of a game a few days ago. Um, I'm still not having a lot of faith in this roster, Lou. Yeah, look, I agree with you. Uh, making a Not making a move was the worst thing they could have done. Not even doing anything around the fringes concerns me deeply. Um it's tough. I mean, sounds like they offered THT, Kendrick Nunn, a first-round pick to a lot of teams for a lot of different packages. It sounded like the Lakers really wanted a, a name to bring in more than just, you know, you talked about that potential trade between the Lakers 
um, the Knicks and the Raptors, it sounded like the, the Lakers wanted a bigger swing than that, which I think was a bit naive of them because swinging for big names is to a certain extent how they got in this situation. Um, but it makes me nervous. Uh, I just had to assume that all the talk is that they think that they can get more for Russell Westbrook in the offseason if he picks up his player option as an expiring contract. Hmm. I think that with LeBron at this point of his career and Anthony Davis, considering how injury prone he is, you can't postpone anything. Uh, you know, that being said, trade or no trade, I, I'm not sure that this Lakers side was making a lot of noise. So maybe this was just a sign of self-awareness. Uh, but LeBron's never been content with that kind of behavior from his front officers before. So that would surprise me a fair bit. Um, I also want to talk about your Warriors, Nick, who were less rumored uh, in moves, but also had plenty of chat around them. Uh, would they potentially pick up another big? Uh, is always a conversation that follows the Warriors. They didn't make any moves. Are you happy with that from a fans and analyst perspective? Yeah, I think that they were going to have to give up something to get something. And I didn't think there was anything they really wanted to give up at the moment. Um, potentially, I, 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 Money B Elite is could be an option to get waived. Um, and if they're going to look for a, a different kind of big on the buyout market, whether that's someone like a, if they're going to get Marcus Gasol back to, to come over from Spain, um, as a couple of reports we're talking about, um, you might look at someone like a, maybe like a Tristan Thompson, Drew Eubanks, Derek Favors get bought out. He's been okay in OKC. There's just a couple of options. Probably Robin Lopez is the one I'd be really interested in if they were able to get him across, considering that was an option back in 2018-19. Uh, I think they ended up going and getting Andrew Bogut from the Sydney Kings instead. But yeah, Rolo's someone who I could see on the on the Warriors, just because they're getting cut up by size a lot at the moment. Um, it, it's a real struggle for them. Like, our boy Zub's absolutely tore him to shreds today. And all respect to Vita Zubats, but there is a reason that he is the uh, person who is uh, we have our uh, unsung hero um, of the week award named after. So it is a little bit concerning. They did say that they weren't going to trade for a center at the, um, at, at the deadline and they stuck with it, but it's a good thing as well that they haven't, you know, tried to move Moses Moody or Kaminga or any of these sort of guys for a quick hit. It, it does put, you know, sort of the Warriors front office. It's quite obvious that it's sort of, half kind of playing for the now and a win now mode, but they're also sort of trying to do like a semi rebuild around Stefan clay and Dre. So that's probably the interesting part to see if they can sort of balance both of those two jobs. Um, but at the moment that looks like what they're trying to do. Yeah. Look, you're certainly right. Um, it's tough with the Warriors because there was a lot of talk about, do they not mess with the winning formula? No, it's always hard to evaluate your team when someone like Draymond Green is out as well. Yeah. Um, you're trying to make evaluations of where you're at. And I guess pre-injury, the Warriors look pretty good. Um, and not that they haven't looked good since, but I guess you've got to assume that you're assuming that Draymond will be fit and firing. And look, maybe their their trade deadline acquisition, and this is a bit of a cliche, is just that you know Steph Curry uh, returns to being red hot from three. Clay continues to uh, improve as he returns from injury and Draymond comes back and maybe that's their acquisition. So... Uh, sounds like the most likely outcome is that potentially they waive Nemanja Bielitsa in exchange for a, a buyout big. Bigs are usually one of the easier things to buy out in the buyout markets. Um, so fingers crossed for the Warriors. And, and look, at the end of the day, we're still talking fringe moves and guys that probably aren't going to be playing big playoff rotation minutes 
We're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back with Scorching Lukewarm or Chili as well as the Abita Zubach Unsung Hero of the Week. And we're back with Scorching Lukewarm or Chili. Nick, you've got something pretty spicy for me and the viewers today. What do you got in your mind? Yeah, maybe this is some recency bias, but I'm also starting to see that this guy is potentially the the biggest candidate for someone who has uh, thrived in the bubble but has struggled to do much since. And I think that at the moment, this version of Anthony Davis is not going to win the Lakers a championship and potentially will have them missing the postseason. Ooh, um, I was verging between lukewarm and scorching, but then after you made your little caveat at the end, Nick, I think that's pretty scorching. Do you want to evaluate a bit of your thoughts here? Big national TV game against the Warriors. It's always a, it's always a big matchup. Um, this is a matchup as well for Anthony Davis that he should be penciling in given the Warriors' current rotation. Draymond Green always gives Davis a bit of strife. Defends him probably arguably as best, um, as better than anybody in the league, I think. At the moment, it, you know, he had Kavon Looney out there, but quite often Jonathan Kaminga would be playing a bit of five and Kaminga outplayed Anthony Davis in that game, um, I think, on both ends of the floor. Also, a big stat as well. In the last two fourth quarters combined, Anthony Davis has only taken three shots. The body language that I'm seeing out of AD, his reliance on being comfortable enough to take mid-range jump shots rather than get inside and actually use his size, is something that you and I have talked about a lot. But it's beginning to be way too consistent, particularly in big moments. Um, that's something that, if that's going to continue, given where LeBron's at, it, it shouldn't be such a reliance on what he's able to do scoring-wise. It really needs to be AD going along for the ride and really dominating games like he can. We've seen it before. But it doesn't mean being comfortable to sort of jacking up jumpers from the elbow. It means he needs to get inside and get physical, and that's not something that I think he's doing at the moment. And the fact that he was outplayed by, you know, a pretty young rookie um, who's only had, you know, under seven career starts, I think, at the moment, was quite was quite telling. Look, I've been critical of Anthony Davis not living up to his potential before on this show. Um, perhaps even a bit more aggressively than you have, Nick. So this one surprises me a little bit um and yet i think the narrative on anthony davis is changing um i think obviously he came out of that 2020 championship looking about as good as you could and to be fair you know despite the circumstances at play he played just about as well as a number two could play to the point where some people were, were even calling for him to be in consideration for finals mvp so no doubt about what he did in that in that championship but Last year was underwhelming due to a variety of reasons, injury being one of them. This year has been underwhelming as well. And I think we're probably at the point now where Anthony Davis's championship clout is starting to run out a little bit. Yep. Um, and his, his reputation is starting to be put under a bit more review. So 
I do completely agree with you. I think it will be interesting to see how long the national media take to finally start following this narrative. Uh, but I think one more early bounce from the playoffs, you'll find that Anthony Davis will have the spotlight pointed firmly at him when it's not pointed at Russell Westbrook. Absolutely. Now, your take is also a little bit Lakers-related. I know sometimes that we might feel guilty a little bit about piling on the Lakers in some weeks of episodes. So it can happen to quite a few weeks sometimes, but I feel like we've got decent enough uh, evidence and sources and material to go off right in front of us, Lou, and you've got something else for us that could be changing in Lakerland soon. Yeah, absolutely. Let me preface this by saying, look, Laker fans, if, if you feel a little bit upset, we do pile on the Kings even more than we pile on the Lakers. Um, Rob Palenka uh, is out of a job by this time next year. I, I think I think he's he's wearing his patience with the Bus family and the Lakers fan base very thin. Bang, bang. I think that that's getting to scorching uh, very much so whenever someone's job is being put into question. What, what's particularly um, made you go this way, Lou? Obviously, a very questionable uh, off-season, and we haven't really seen the fruits uh, of those decisions yet, and potentially we won't at all. Um, what's got you convinced that Rob Polinka is a goner? Well, it, it, to a certain extent, it is tough, because we don't know how much of what Rob Polinka does is his own doing, and how much of it is under instruction from... Anthony Davis, LeBron James, potentially ownership in LA. But uh, evaluating Rob on everything we can evaluate him on, which is all the decisions that have been made since he's been in the chair, especially since him and Magic stopped kind of doing it in a collaborative sense and he was doing it on his own. Um, he's only really had one good year as GM. LeBron's first year in LA was a very weird roster. And it was, it was Lance Stevenson and it was... You know, Rajon Rondo playing with Lonzo Ball and it, it just didn't make a lot of sense and injuries or no injuries, that side was was not destined to win a championship. Um, year two, they won. But it, it, I don't think we acknowledge enough the fact that they got so aggressively fleeced by the Pelicans in a trade where there was only really one bidder because Anthony Davis was sending out warning signals to absolutely other fran- every other franchise in the league saying, do not trade for me because I'll leave in a year and go to L.A. And they still somehow managed to get done for every single pick pick swap and young player minus Kyle Kuzma that they had on their roster. And the last two years have been abysmal and we've talked about it as well. So LeBron teams don't tolerate GMs for extended period of times when they're underperforming, just like they don't tolerate coaches. Uh, whether he files Frank, fires Frank Vogel or not before he goes, whether he blames on a Russell Westbrook or not, and you know, both of those can take some blame for this. I think Rob Palenka, um, yeah, he's on the hot seat now um, and it's not really being talked about enough, I don't think. Yeah, I think that the Frank Vogel's the interesting one because um, obviously the patience for an NBA head coach is a little bit, um, you know, a little bit shorter than for those in the front office. But no, I think you're right that you can't have this many poor off-seasons and expect to keep your job. Um they did have some assets at one stage, but now they've, they've sort of burned those assets and really sort of, you know, handcuff themselves of what they can do for the next few off seasons. Um, but good GMs are able to, you know, find some diamonds in the rough. The Lakers are, are prioritizing not trying to find that, you know, the diamonds in the rough, but they're finding the really rough diamonds. You know, someone like a, they just they want to go the big name. They want to go the glitz and the glamour of a Russell Westbrook rather than look at a positional fit on a basketball court. 
Um, so, no, I think you're right that uh, there, I think, will be some severe changes for the Lakers in the next 12 months, and I think Palinka will be one of those. Now, uh, one of Rob Palinka's positive moves is a great segue into the Avita Zubac unsung hero of the week award. Nick, you've got a you've got a Rob Palinka fine for us. Who's our unsung hero out of Lakerland? Yeah, my unsung hero of the week. I'm actually surprised I haven't put him in here before because I was pretty big on him sort of the the first week of the, I think our first episode of the season, Lou, I think we were talking about, I think I might have, when we were doing our, it's only one game, I think I might have compared this guy to Alex Caruso. But I'm I'm sort of standing by it because he continues to play well. And that's Austin Reeves this week, who I think um, has been a really good part of this Lakers second unit sort of combination of wings who have shown energy um, on both ends of the floor um, when sort of the starters might be stalling a little bit. And, you know, people talk about why Westbrook has sort of got pushed to the bench. I think, honestly, sometimes um, Reeves is a reason behind that. He's not handling the ball a lot, but he's he's a guard that they want out there um, in the big moments. And he showed that um, against the Warriors, you know, nationally televised game, I think probably shocked a few people who maybe, you know, have turned off the Lakers a little bit and haven't seen Reeves play a lot. But 13 points, three rebounds, two assists, two blocks, one of those being an absolute monster block on clay i don't know how he recovered to to swat that but it was a hell of a play and it got clay fired up but finished five and nine from the field three or five from deep he's just a really handy player who does a lot of things really really well he's a real glue guy a lot like caruso was very different sort of player um someone who probably is not as good with the ball in hand as Caruso is, but I still think that he's got a lot to offer defensively, works his ass off um, rebounding the ball. There was one play particularly, forget who it was against now. That's going to really annoy me. I think it might've been against um, in their big wing against Utah a couple of weeks ago where he followed his own shot and was like basically diving horizontally to try to flip it back up for a putback and end up scoring the points. The Lakers don't have enough guys who are working that hard on that team. And he is one of them who provides a barometer of energy um, that was really key for them late, you know, scored a lot of his points late in the fourth quarter to um, put the Lakers in a good chance in a good position to win that game. Obviously it wasn't to be um, thanks to LeBron's uh, struggles at the line. Um, But um, you know, the the loss can't go on Austin Reeves because he was terrific in that game. Yeah, look, and we we talk a lot about how THT is a you know a really talented player that just doesn't fit with LeBron. Austin Reeves is a really talented player that fits perfectly with someone like LeBron. Um, you know, you talk about his his energy and defense and his shooting, and yeah, he's been a, he's been a great fit and a for a, you know, a guy that's just coming out of college, he's fit into the the professional game pretty seamlessly. So, you know, great shout from you. Um, Austin Reeves has probably been one of the most underrated players on the Lakers this year um, and deserves his credit. So shout out to you and shout out to Austin Reeves as well. Now you've um, got a, a fairly recent acquisition uh, for your score. Uh, sorry, for your Avita Zubats award winner this week. Who have you gone with, Lou? Yeah, I do. And I've gone for a guy that uh, has been called, it was overrated and has now been called overrated so many times that he might be underrated. And that's why I've given him some award. And that's Robert Covington of the Los Angeles Clippers, Nick. I think you're right. It's, it, the narrative on Covington got like so scorching hot that he was like the, you know, the, the final jigsaw piece um, in every championship contenders puzzle. Um, and was like the best defender in the league. 
I think that you're right that it sort of did get a bit overblown. But now I still think that, you know, his impact is a little bit underrated. What have you sort of seen out of his, um, you know, early goings um, for the Clippers so far that, you know, um, warrants him getting an award? Just a really good plug-and-play guy, a player that, a guy that I really would like to see the Clippers re-sign because I think he will fit a lot alongside PG and Kawhi so well uh, because he's really happy just to do his thing on offense, you know, take wide open threes, um, you know, attack closeouts, and that's about it. And then, obviously, despite the fact that he's perhaps not the greatest uh, on-ball defender, one of the greatest help defenders uh, that this league has as well. So, um, you know, he hasn't shot the lights out from three since playing for the Clippers. We know that his three ball has been a little inconsistent. But all in all, he still gets guarded out there. Um yeah, the the guy's been averaging you know one point six steals a game since he's got to LA, uh, around a block a game as well, five and a half boards, two and a half assists, and just a guy you can trust in your rotation. Um, and I think he's always good when you have to really minimise what he does to the point of play good team defense, play good help defense, and make wide open threes. And I think once Kawhi and PG are back, he's going to be a guy that can really thrive in that role the same way that. Yeah, I think that um, Covington's a guy who has had a lot of the defensive responsibility really heaped on his shoulders since he went to the Blazers. Um, and, yeah, when you sort of, you know, the guys who are in front of you are CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. It does put a lot of pressure on what you're, what defending you have to do. Um, that's something that I talked about a little bit last week when um, we were talking about how they when they acquired him. So, no, I think he's going to fit in really nicely, as you said, with, alongside Kawhi and PG. He's really interchangeable in a couple of different spots. And um, particularly, you know, sort of um, with the Clippers' slew of shooting threats, hopefully you get, get some space afforded to him to to find his stroke a little bit again. Um, but, yeah, I think he's been um, a super handy contributor already for LA. Um, and I think he will be even more so when the, when the rotation's full again and the stars are back. Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh... At the end of the day, the Clippers who are willing to spend can certainly spend in the offseason to bring him back. So that's all we've got this week on the Pacific Post-Ups. Uh, by this time next week, we should have had a better look at a few of these sides who are settling in now to their new acquisitions, as well as, of course, All-Star Weekend is on the horizon. Nick, before we go, is there a Pacific Division player that you're really looking forward to playing in the All-Star game? It's a very good question. I feel like it could be a bit of a bit of a Devin Booker party in the All-Star game. I would be putting a little bit of, if I was a betting man, which I'm not really these days, I'd be putting a couple of bucks on uh, Devin Booker maybe taking away the All-Star game MVP, uh, which would be pretty fun. Um, imagine, Lou, you've got your eye on Luke Kennard's performance in the three-point shooting contest. Absolutely, I do. Um, and Look, I'd love to see... Your man, Nick, Andrew Wiggins, get up for a few fun dunks in transition when he gets out there and has a bit of a run around, um, playing his first All-Star game to the, in the city that originally drafted him as well. Um, so, plus, always be a lot of fun to see LeBron go back um, and be celebrated uh, for the career he's had in Cleveland as well. So, plenty sure. of fun for us all to watch on All-Star weekend and plenty of real basketball as well. Nick, until then, it's been a pleasure. Listeners, we'll be back with you next week.